discussion recently with some uh, clergy friends, and we were talking about um, preaching. And somebody asked the question, what's the hardest or most nerve-wracking sermon to preach, setting to preach? What do you think that would be? Asking for money, yeah, that's no fun. Um, <laughs> asking for money, what do you think? What do you think would be not, or, or, the, or the time or the, the occasion that would be the most difficult to preach? Funeral, yeah, funerals can be, can be very difficult. I'm sorry? Christmas, Christmas is, a, yeah, Christmas is one that, that always a little bit of, of anxiousness comes up. I think I might have heard somebody say it. Here's, here's my answer. This is my answer. Christmas is challenging. Funerals can be very difficult. Uh, Easter sometimes, as joyful as it is, there's, there's a number of times when, when the anxiety, the difficulty, the challenge may raise a little bit. But the hardest sermon to preach for me is the first one. The first sermon in any place I've ever served is always the most difficult most nerve-wracking because you know in that moment you're making the largest first impression that you're going to make you know you know the the, the saying you, there's, you never get a second chance to make a first impression and first impression moments are a little nerve-wracking now i know every week that i preach every sermon that i preach there's a first impression somewhere, if there's a guest, if there's a first-timer. But a first time in a congregation, you know that everybody's kind of sizing you up. They're si in fact, I, I'll tell you, and a little bit different, I didn't tell, Lynn, I, I didn't tell her I was going to tell this story, but the, my, when I was finishing my time at the, the previous church I was at in Shady Hills, uh, Christmas Eve service, uh, and we're getting ready, and Lynn Mercer walks in. If you don't know who I'm talking about, Lynn is the um, records coordinator here at the church. And, uh, and I'd met Lynn because I'd visited, but she was in Pasco County with family, and so she came to the Christmas Eve service. And she won't tell you this because she's too nice, but I knew what she was doing. <laughs> she was sizing up the new preacher. And I was more conscious of Lynn being there than I was anyone else because I knew that's where I'm going, you know. In a couple of weeks, that's where I'll be. And, uh, and, and so those moments, those first impression moments, and it's not unique to preaching. That was our context of conversation. First time at a new job, in a community, a social group, date, class. I mean, there's, there's just a number of times when you know everybody's making that first impression and kind of learning about each other. Well, I, I bridge that. I, I kind of use that this morning as a lead-in to our, our scripture. Because John chapter 2 is recorded as Jesus' first miracle. The beginning of John chapter 2. These first 11 verses. The miracle of the water to wine, the miracle at the, the wedding of Cana. So I want to read this scripture to us. I want you to hear or follow along. Beginning again, verse 1, chapter 2. 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the, blank, of the banquet tasted the wine that had been turned, I mean, tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone who brings out the choice wine, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Exactly. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we'd see, hear, experience the story afresh and new that it would speak to us, challenge us, move us in faith and obedience. This is our prayer in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I started with first impressions because I find it intriguing that this is Jesus' first miracle. I mean, there's some, there's some humor to the story that I find you giggled a little bit in it. I mean, you have to. I mean, the, the master of the banquet basically says, why are you bringing out the good stuff when everybody's already tipsy? I mean, that's, that's about the point. Um, and, and Jesus' mother. I, I find Mary, uh, I, I just find there's just a fascinating dialogue here when she comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, so? And... <laughs> You know, she knows what's up, and, and she's kind of moving him toward action. And he says, it's not my time. And the very next thing she says is, do whatever he tells you. Which is like, Mary's like, she's still mom. She's still mom. I, son of God or not, she's mom. And she's got an idea for what the kid needs to do. And Jesus does. He's a good son. So there's, there's just this, this wonderful dynamic that goes on here. But, but what I find so startling, if you will, is that this is the first one. If, if we sat down together or, you know, had the time and we listed every miracle of Jesus, and we put them all there, uh, resurrecting the dead, healing the afflicted, casting out demons, uh, feeding 5,000. I mean, if we went through and said, uh, healing the lepers, we went, boom, here's miracle, 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 miracle. Let's rank them in order of importance, of significant, of impact, if you will. And we wouldn't all agree on what they are. By, by no stretch would we all have the same opinion. But I have to think that most of us at the bottom of the list would have water to wine. Not because it's not an 
significant in the sense, but it's a wedding banquet. It's a social faux pas. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing for, for the, the, the host, the family, to run out of one. I'm not saying any of that, but, but compared with healing the blind and, and casting out demons and resurrecting the dead, this just doesn't seem like a big deal. But it's the first one. And some of that might have just been the location, the experience. But, I, but I, find it, I find it significant. I find it worthy of some examination. And so, uh, again, and it's, this is for those of us that have read the Gospels and, and have walked in faith for a while, this is not a new one. And, and so there's a tendency that I have to kind of skim through a story like this. Yeah, I know how it goes. I know how it goes. And I know the end, and there's water to wine. It's really good wine. Yay, God, move on. <laughs> right? Right? Let's get, let's get to the important stuff. But if we stop for a little while, if we just kind of think a little deeper, if I think a little deeper, we get a wonderful foretaste of the gospel in this miracle. We get a wonderful introduction to what God does to us and through us in this miracle. So let's spend a few moments on that. Now, again, Wedding in Cana. This is not uh, an extraordinary experience. Weddings are important. They're celebrations. They're valuable, but they're not uncommon. It's not like they're like, hey, it's a wedding. Haven't had one of those before. I mean, they're, they're part of a life experience. Jesus is invited to the wedding. I don't believe the gospel gives us no reason to believe he went with any intention other than to enjoy the wedding. He was an invited guest. And, and as we, we talked about, the wine runs out. And they come to Jesus, and Jesus responds. And here's the question. Why does Jesus choose to respond here? Well, simply put, I believe it's because at the heart of Jesus is his desire to meet our needs. It's not as important as sight to the blind. It's not as important as life to the dead. It's not as important as freedom for the, the demoniac. It's not. It's not on the, that scale. But Jesus recognizes it was, it was important to the family of the bride and groom. And if it's important to us, it is important to Jesus. And I say that with you because we have a tendency, and I do this. I sometimes, in my struggles and in my prayers and in my needs, I'll sometimes um, self-critique. As even in my prayer, I'll be like, oh, Lord, I know this, my prayer, I know my need, I know my struggle isn't as important as what so-and-so is going through. Isn't as as deep and the need and the pain isn't as as difficult as what this person's going through and in ministry i see that so much and 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 we read and we pray over so many of the needs you share and, and there's a tendency sometimes for me to be dismissive of my needs because well it's not as big as so-and-so's needs this reminds me that if it matters to me it matters to god it matters to God. It's, it's important to be honest. And Jesus meets a need that in our mind wouldn't be as significant as so many others. But Jesus still meets the need. And that's very, very important. And when he does, we get a glimpse of the gospel. And this is the first. We get to see the, if you will, the key ingredient of discipleship. 
And it's not spoken by Jesus, but it's the instruction that Mary gives to the servants. I believe it's verse 5. She says these words. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. The heart of discipleship for those in Christ, the heart of discipleship for those who choose to to follow the path of Christ is to seek to live into those words, to do what Jesus tells us to do. I'm not saying that's always easy to discern. We're constantly discerning, Lord, what is your will? Or we're struggling to discern what is your will? What is it you would speak to me? But the heart of discipleship, we cannot get around the fact that the call of a Christian is to be like Christ, to do the things that Christ calls us to. And Jesus calls us to these throughout the Gospels. He gives the, the, the disciples the same invitation that he gives us in, in, the Matthew of God, in the Matthew of Gospel. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says, come and follow me. Come, the, the invitation. Come and follow me. And then throughout the Gospels, through his actions and through his words, he says things like, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. He says things like, love your enemies. Things that we sometimes like to kind of maybe forget about. Let's move on past that one. He, he says things like, as I have given an example to you, as he washes it, as I have done this for you, go do this for one another. You know, over and over, through actions and through words, he gives these invitations, these instructions, if you will. The heart of the gospel is the desire of those who are disciples to do whatever he tells us to do. And we may not always agree there, but we can't get around. That's, that's our call. That's our call. We, we, we can disagree on maybe what we understand that to be. We can have discussions. And, but, but if our argument is, well, we, we really don't have to listen to Jesus, then we're doing something other than discipleship. So, so we get that, that key ingredient is obedience. The key ingredient is obedience. None of this happens if the servants don't do what Jesus tells them. And he tells them to do something ridiculous. Again, we lose the cultural con. He tells them to take the basins, the jars, that are used for the ceremonial washing. And don't, don't miss that. These are not um, jars that are used for serving drinks or, 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 or refreshments. This is fill the sink kind of stuff. Fill the sink with water. And, and they do it. And, and I, I want to see that. I want to see the looks they were giving each other. Because they don't know who Jesus is. They know there's something significant about him. They do what he says, but they had to be thinking, this is the dumbest idea ever. And he does. And then he tells them something even crazier. He says, now, go give a taste to the banquet manager. Go serve him some of the dishwater. Yeah? That's good job, security. And they do. And here's the second thing we learn. Transforma transformation. In obedience 
to the word, the call, the invitation, the instruction of Jesus, transformation happens. Water becomes wine. Something that is ordinary, every day, something that, that we don't necessarily put a lot of value on. Now, we know it's valuable. Water is essential, and, and certainly it's different in our country. There are parts of the world where they don't have access to water, and it is incredibly valuable. But for most of us, we don't put a lot of value on water because it's everywhere. Water fountains, sinks, hoses. I mean, we just have it in abundance. I think one of the greatest marketing accomplishments is that in the last 25 years, companies have got us to buy their water. You know? That, that we, we pay money to buy it in, in bottles, what we can get out of our sinks. And, and I know some of you are going to say, well, it's pure, it's clear, what, okay, whatever. Um, if, and maybe it is. I've just, you know, remember the old Coke and Pepsi taste tests? You know, you remember that? I've never seen Zephyr Hills and Aquafina doing a taste test of their water. Which do you like better? Which is more refreshing? I, I can't tell the difference. When we, and, and we buy water too. As much as I'm mocking it, I, Tony and, and Cassie went to Sam's yesterday and got a bunch of supplies and, and they brought home a big thing of the water, you know, so they can grab it and go. There's some convenience there. I get it. Um, it's an awful lot of work to actually have to fill up the mug yourself, you know, as opposed to... So... I'm going to have to think carefully about that part of the sermon next service. Um, but, but when I've had to buy, when Tony has said, would you buy some water? I don't care. I look, what's the cheapest? That's what I buy. That's what I, it, doesn't, it just doesn't matter. It's just an ordinary and everyday thing. But, but Jesus makes it extraordinary, transforms it. It becomes something of incredible value and worth. That's what Jesus does. So many of us think our lives are ordinary and bland and without flavor. So we devalue ourselves, but, but Jesus doesn't. And, and this isn't the promise for a few. When we are obedient to Christ, when we, when we f- open our hearts to Christ and allow him to begin to be at work in our life through our willingness to do what he says, transformation happens. And what we see is as ordinary and bland becomes extraordinary and valuable and impactful. That's, that's the story of the Gospels through Adam. You know, fishermen that become evangelists. A prostitute that becomes one of the first proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus. A, a persecutor of the church and Paul that becomes a preacher. And, and this story repeats. It doesn't stop at the end of the, of the New Testament. One of the most prolific Christian writers in, in history is a man who was an Oxford professor and a militant atheist. He says, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom. His name is C.S. Lewis. One of the, 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 the most pivotal revivalists of the, of the 18th century was a failed missionary who came to America from England and crashed and burned and went back to England dejected and believing his ministry was a complete failure. And in a place called on Aldersgate Street, he said during the reading of the epistle on the, on, on the 
explanation of the epistle of Romans that his heart was strangely warmed. And that man's name is John Wesley. And a revival started. And we're part of that movement as Methodists and, and Wesleyans. We could go on and on. I've told you about um, Augustine, who was the monk who said, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. You know, <laughs> save me, but not yet. And yet, God transforms his life, and he becomes one of the most influential shapers of Christian theology. William Booth, who looked and said, nobody cares for the poor and the hungry and the desolate. And God says, then you do it. And he does. And now we have a salvation army because of that. I mean, we could go on and on and on. That's what God does. And that's not just for the extraordinary men and women of faith that we know their stories. That's what God does for us. We see that around here all the time in conversations and connections through ministries and opportunities that people make where, where your gifts are used in profound ways that you may not even be aware of. Transformation. That's what God does. And, and so, so we see this, this, this key of obedience and this result of transformation. And here's, here's what I loved about reading this again and, and reflecting on this. This is where it always kind of stopped for me. This is where my reflection on the, 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 the banquet and the, the wedding miracle, this is where it stopped. God's obedience and transformation. But I missed something that I had never really thought about until this week. I love it when God does this. Because there's an extra part of this that I had never really reflected on, but has a significance in what happens to us in, in discipleship. Because the obedience and the transformation doesn't have an impact without a final step. Let me, let, me, let me share with you what I mean. Let's do a little visual this morning. I brought the fine china from home this morning. Now, don't get alarmed or excited. This is Methodist wine. This is grape juice. But, but I want you to think about this for a second. Sparkling grape juice at that. I can tell you, and you can believe that this was created under miraculous circumstances. Ooh. Until I didn't practice this. Um, it won't stop. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to recover here. I, I, can tell you, I can tell you this is a miraculous bottle of grape juice. I can, uh, I can show you... Or I can let you look inside the jar and see that it's got color and, what do you say, what do you want, bouquet, is that the word for wine taste? All of that. You guys aren't going to get past the thing that is bubbling. Here's the, here's the thing. What's the value of this? When does it have value? Celebration. Celebration, right. But in the celebration, if I... 
when you drink it, when you drink it, it doesn't mean anything until it gets poured out. It's in the pouring out that the process, the transformation has value. It's in the tasting that you know it is good. Anybody want a sip? And it's good. When does this miracle have impact? It's not when Jesus gives the instructions. It's not when the wine or the water is transformed to wine. Those are important. But the impact is in the instructions. Draw, pour it out, take from it, and serve it. Our lives as disciples that are called to do what he says, our lives in the Holy Spirit that are transformed, are transformed for the purpose of being poured out. How are you and I being poured out. I forgot this part of it. I always left it at the transformation. Yay, transformation! Well, where's the value of the transformation if we're not poured out? You know what happens to wine that sits too long, not properly kept? No, you don't. Yeah, I have no idea. No, preacher. Never had bad wine before. Next week's sermon's going to be about honesty. Um, When, when Tony and I have on our, our mantle, well, we don't have, our, I don't know where it is now, but one of those bottles of wine you get when you get married. We got married, we did a reception at a, at a reception hall, and, you know, Chris and Tony, May 1995, you know, one of the commemorative things, and we, we just keep it there and, and look at it and reflect. We have some friends that for their 25th anniversary, they had one of those bottles, and they thought, we're going to have a toast with one of those bottles of wine. They weren't wine drinkers. So they popped that bottle and poured that toast and spit up on one another. That was their <laughs> anniversary. Because wine that isn't poured out properly, and, and I know preservation, let's get beyond all that, it turns to vinegar. I mean, it goes bad. That, that's, that's true for our lives. The transformation that God works is so that we, we would be poured out. We, we were invited to pour ourselves into, into the work of the church. We're invited to pour ourselves into our marriages. We're to pour ourselves into our families, to pour ourselves into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into our workplaces, to pour ourselves in for the gospel, to pour ourselves in in a Christ-honoring way that listens to what he tells us, that seeks to live into the transformation of the Holy Spirit work within us, but gives ourselves for others. That's the heart of of the gospel. And when we don't do that, when our life becomes about us, we, we go bad. We go bad. No, no impact. There's, Dad used to tell the story, or he used to use an example. I remember this growing up listening to my father preach, and he would talk about tombstones. And, and I remember when he used to, ref, he used to use this as kind of a, an example, and, and you may have heard variations of it, but, but the tombstone said this, this, here lies the bones of Mary Jones, for her life held no terrors. She lived for self, she died alone, no runs, no hits, no errors. She lived for self. That's that key word. When our lives become lived for self, when we become hoarders 
of, of the gifts that God has given. I, I don't know if you've ever watched those shows on, on some of the sh um, channels that, 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 that kind of show the, the, the impact of those who become hoarders. And that's a psychological illness, and I don't mock that or, or make light of that. But, it, but if you ever really pay attention, what happens when someone becomes a hoarder, it can be of, of junk, it could be of money, whatever it is, when it becomes about as much as you can accumulate for the sake of accumulating it for you, other things suffer. Relationships suffer. Your connection to others suffers. Life becomes isolated. And it becomes sour. That's what happens to us when, when we allow this gift that God works in our lives, this transformation that he works to, to become about us. When we don't pour out, we, we, we go bad. We go bad. How are you being poured out? This first impression miracle is so much more significant than, than I even realize because we get a foretaste of the gospel. Do what he says. Allow the Holy Spirit to work to transform what we see as ordinary and everyday into extraordinary and powerful and impactful. But then pour out, pour out your life and your gifts, not just for yourself, but for the work of the kingdom, which is always about the service of others. Our mission statement as a United Methodist Church is to make disciples for the transformation of the world. To make disciples for the transformation of the world. It's just what Jesus says. Make disciples of all nations. Do what he says. Do what he says. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and pour out. That's Jesus' first impression. And I venture to say it was more significant and powerful than even I was willing to recognize. Amen? Amen. Friends, let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for opening our eyes for the opportunity to reflect and for the promise of, of what you do in our lives. As we are called to obedience, you begin to transform us and you use us for the glory of Christ and the loving of the world. Lord, help us to be poured out in such a way, to be faithful and to, to live according to that call upon our lives. Empower us by your spirit and call us to greater faithfulness. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.